please, to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. We're continuing our series through the marks of a Christ-exalting church. It's our goal to do this every year around this time. Start the year off right. Let us not forget who we are and why we're here. This morning, we're going to be looking at the life of a leader. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. And no, we're not going to finish this this morning. I won't even try. Beginning in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we speak glory or, excuse me, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her, two, for her, for her children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. For you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The title of this sermon is The Life of a Leader. The Life of a Leader. I desire this morning, dear saint, that you would lead others to Christ. One of the marks that we strive to be characterized by as a church here at Redeemer Bible Church is leadership development. See that there's an explanation of it on the inside of your bulletins there in our DNA as we cycle through those marks. It says we must spread the word of Christ through leaders and ministries. Therefore, we will train up leaders and teachers who are marked by Christ-likeness and who are well-equipped in understanding and applying the scriptures. We will be a lighthouse for the gospel of Christ, prayerfully investing in our leaders and even transient citizens so that they will be well-equipped and stirred with a passion for the exaltation of Christ. Take those words to heart, church. This is our goal. The kingdom of God cannot stop in one generation. And therefore, we need to train up leaders and teachers who are marked by Christ's likeness. That can teach the word. But this morning, we're going to look at the character of a leader the life of a leader, that it is to be marked by this Christ-likeness. As we look at Paul, Paul would say, you are looking at Christ in me. He would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so as we look at the life of Paul and his leadership as a pastor of the church, 
we look at Christ as a model for us to live our day-to-day lives. You might be thinking, I'm not a leader, and I don't train leaders, so I'll just check out, and I'll check back in when it's time to sing. Everyone leads someone else, though. A child leads his or her younger sibling by example of obedience. A teenager leads his or her siblings and friends towards devotion and obedience to Christ. A man, a woman, leads those younger than them and even their peers in biblical living and decision-making. A wife or a mother leads her children as she helps raise them according to the word of God, always pointing her children to the gospel. A husband or a father leads his children and spouse as he gives direction to his household, managing the life of the family and guiding them spiritually. In the church, in the local church, women lead other women and children in the scriptures, in ministry, and in discipleship. In the church, men are called to lead the church, setting the bar of godliness and sacrificial love to those in their ministries and under their spiritual care. So you see, no matter who you are, you are leading somebody. If you're not a newborn or you're not a toddler, then you're, you're leading somebody else. You are. Now it's been said Only those who have people following them are leaders, and there's a level of truth to that. If you want want to see if you're a leader or not, see if people are following you. That's true. But yet at the same time, if you've been alive for any amount of time, you are already leading somebody. The question is, where are you leading them to? Leadership is not earned. Leadership is not bought. It is not demanded, and it is not forced. Rather, leadership is lived. You are leading somebody, Christian. Where are you leading them to? How well are you doing at leading them. Men, you are leading your household. You might say, well, my spouse won't let me lead. No, you're leading. You're just doing a lousy job at it. All right, did we get that out of the way? All right, there's more to come. I I hope you understand it's out of love, right? Christ gives you, in this passage, five ways to lead those entrusted to you. Lead with your faithful speech. Lead with your blameless character. Lead with your selfless love. Lead with your humble service. And lead with your godly example. You see, all of these things are speaking of what you do. And how you lead is how you live. It's your speech, your character, your selfless love, your service, your example. It's not your office. It's not your position. It's your life. First of all, lead with your faithful speech. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Lead with your faithful speech. I want to read it again. Verse 1 and 2. You yourselves know, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had much boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Opposition. 
A leader must preach and teach the word faithfully. That's what a leader must do. If God is ever going to use you to do anything of spiritual value, you must speak God's word, not your own. Paul reminds the church of Thessalonica of what God did when Paul came to them preaching the gospel of God. He says, you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. What does that mean? He's he's appealing to them and reminding them of something that they already know. That when he came with the gospel, when he came with the word of God, it was not in vain. It was not fruitless. It was not empty. He's reminding them of what he already said in chapter 1, verse 9. It says, they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you. He's talking about other churches in the surrounding area. The word is getting around. There's a report going around about us and what kind of a reception we had with you, Thessalonians, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's what he means when he says, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. You know that because you turn from idols to God. You know it by your own experience. You lived it. You see, when the gospel is preached, people turn from idols. That's what happened in the church of Thessalonica. And this is the call of the gospel, isn't it? It is this call to turn away from something and to something. It is to turn from idols to God. It's repentance. That's the gospel call, is to repent, to turn from sin. That's the demand of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, yes, to believe in Jesus Christ. But as you believe, you must turn to him. See, because the the believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus to, to face him, as it were, and to place your trust in him, you have to have already turned from yourself and from your idols. You see, sin, sin is to love and to live for anything else besides God. Look what he says in verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. You turned to God from idols. Notice how, how this turning is described. To serve a living and true God, not idols. To not serve idols, but to serve the living and the true God. You see? To serve is to worship. So sin is to love and live or worship anything else besides God, including yourself. The payment, though, for this sin, for this offense of trading God for anything else, the payment for that sin is eternal death because it's an eternal God that you've done this to. But Jesus Christ paid that eternal debt. That is the gospel. You simply need to turn from your idol whether it's money or fame or you, and turn to God and believe that Jesus paid your debt. That's what happened to them. That's what happened to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Paul reminds them of that fact. He reminds them that this is exactly what happened when he came preaching the word of God to them. In verse 1, he says, you yourselves know. It wasn't in vain. Look at your life. 
Look at what God did. Look at the change that the word of God wrought in you. How it gave you life when there was nothing but death before. The power of the word of God. This power to change souls, to give spiritual life, to change a sinner into a saint, to transfer somebody in the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, the beloved son. That power in the word of God fueled Paul. It fueled him to just keep on speaking. If I just keep on speaking, there is power in the words. And Paul knew that. So he kept on speaking, even if it meant suffering and mistreatment. Verse 2, after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness of our God to speak, to keep on speaking to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. You see, in Philippi, it's a colony of Rome, and we will learn from the book of Acts that there in Philippi, as Paul and and all of his ministry brethren, they, they came to this colony of Rome, and Paul preached the gospel. He preached the gospel to the masses, but he also had private conversations. And there was one private conversation, one one-on-one interaction that Paul had uh, with a lady who she practiced uh, divination. She earned a lot of money doing this. She earned money for her masters. She was a slave, a servant, and she was good, apparently, at divination. It it says there in Acts that Paul cast this demonic spirit from her as he shared the gospel. Side note. To practice divination is to involve with demonic forces. It is not something to be played with in any form. Be very careful. But Paul, preaching the gospel to her, cast the demonic spirit from her, and as a result, she no longer made a profit for her masters. She lost her job. Yeah, amen. If you don't know, I, I, I like the interaction. I like the... Because it helps me know. Okay? I feed off of that. I do. Anyways. Um, Paul, th- th- this, this lady, she gets saved. The demon flees from her because he who is within you is greater than he that is in the world. And... She's no longer profitable for her masters. So what do the masters do? They get a crowd, and they actually beat Paul with rods. This isn't a political thing. This is just their, he's hurting their bottom line. See the power of the love of money, don't you? They, they beat Paul with rods, they threw them in prison, and they put their feet in stocks. Now, of course, God freed them from that prison in that great event. But what's important here is what did Paul do after he got out of prison, after getting that beating? What did he do? He got up, went to the next city, Thessalonica, and kept on preaching. What boldness! What confidence in the power of God. He couldn't stop speaking God's word, preaching God's gospel. No opposition could keep them from speaking the word of God, even as opposition continued. And they would not stop. Why? Verse 3. For, here's why. Because... Our exhortation does not come from error or impurity 
or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Why? Because it was God's word that they were entrusted with. He knew what he had. He had the word of God. It is all authoritative, as we learned this morning in equipping hour. It has divine authority over all mankind. It is binding on the minds and consciousness of every human being. Every human being must obey God's word. And if they don't, they are in rebellion to him. But Paul knew that he had the very words of God and God entrusted his words to him. He knew what he had. He knew that their message wasn't man-made. It wasn't self-promoting. He says, we did not, our exhortation, our words did not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. It wasn't man-made with, with these, these fleshly characteristics. They were commissioned to speak the truth of God. And they were commissioned by God himself. You see, their goal was not fame. Their goal was not acceptance. Rather, they were driven by this great responsibility of being stewards of the word of God. And so they were driven by the desire to please God alone. Verse 4. As we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So he's saying we speak as people who are approved by God, set aside by God to speak his word. That's how we must speak. And so he spoke, not pleasing men, but God who judges the hearts. And Paul says, you know me. You know me. You know how I led you. I spoke the word of God faithfully to you, church. No matter my circumstance, I spoke what God says in his word. And I didn't do it for myself. You know that. I did it for the Lord. This is our model. Christian, this is your model. You need to be faithful to speak the word of God faithfully. Faithfully to those that are around you. Whether you are a child or a senior citizen. You are commissioned by God if you know him. He has commissioned you to steward his word. To be faithful with it. So speak it. Speak the Bible. We need to be faithful. No matter what may come. And don't do it to be noticed. Don't do it because that's what people expect of you. But rather do it to please your heavenly Father. Do it for Him. So even when you're tired... Right? That's what faithfulness is. Even when you're tired, even when you're busy, even when you're just plain lazy, open your mouth and speak the word of the living God. It, his word is life-giving. Have confidence that it is powerful and know that God has entrusted to you this great book of power, of life. And if you want to see any change in those around you, if you want to do any spiritual good for anybody, it has to come from your faithful speaking of the Word of God. So you must lead with your faithful speech. 
You, almost, you also must lead with your blameless character. Your blameless character. Verse 5 and 6. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. A corrupt leader is someone who uses his or her uh, position of leadership for his own sinful desires. That's corrupt leadership. It's all about them. But Paul here is modeling Christ as an example of leading with integrity, you see. He's free, he, he is free, he says, of these three things. Flattery, greed, and pride. Flattery, greed, and pride. As you lead, notice I'm not saying if you want to be a leader. No, you are. So as you lead, be free of flattery, greed, and pride. Paul says in verse 5 that he didn't speak lies in order to make people feel good about themselves. That's flattery. To say something that isn't the full truth. To say something that you know that other person just wants to hear. So that they feel good about themselves. It puffs up their pride. Don't be marked by that. Don't tell people just what they want to hear. Tell them what they need. This is so tempting. In our marriages, in our homes, in the church, it's so tempting just to not offend, to not rock the boat, but rather just say everything's great. You're great. when sin needs to be addressed or character needs to be molded into the likeness of Christ. It is so tempting to do this. Paul says he didn't do that. He also didn't have a pretext for greed, he says. He didn't have a pretext for greed. Pretext means a show or a covering like a mask. No, this isn't an anti-mask verse. What he's saying here is that Paul did not put on a show. He did not try to cover any greedy motivations that he had. He didn't say one thing, but yet hold tight to his chest this craving for greed. He didn't cover and, and, and hide his, his sinful uh, desire for self-praise uh, and self-promotion, self-advancement and even profit. He didn't do any of that. But what would the show, what would the covering be? Look at it again. We never, we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. God knows our hearts. You know this. But this pretext, what, what, what is the covering? What is the show? I believe it's Flattery. It's the, ver verse, or it's the word right before. We didn't come with flattery as a pretext for greed. What do I mean? It was common in Paul's day, and it still is today, for a leader to flatter those under him. 
And that flattery is a cover for their greedy intentions. They make people feel good about themselves just so that he can get the money out of them or whatever he wants out of them. That is flattery as a pretext for greed. You're flattering others to get something out of them. This was common in Paul's day. This is common in our day. Nothing's changed. Church is still the church and sinners are still sinners. This is the blueprint. Flattery as a pretext for greed is the blueprint of the seeker-sensitive movement, of the health and wealth doctrine. These preachers who only say what people want to hear. These so-called pastors who never confront sin and only leave people feeling good and not convicted under the weight of Scripture just so that they would fill the offering box. And they do, don't they? These kinds of churches are filled with people because it is what the people want. It's what sells. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're selling a counterfeit gospel. And what's the root of all this? Verse 6. It's pride. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. The root of all this, the, 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 the lying, the greediness, the flattery, the, the, the cloaking evil intentions, the, all of that is coming from this pride, this, this vain self-glory. Pride is at the root of corrupt leadership every time. Now, yes, there is a position of authority that comes with the role of leader in any sphere of life. Yet, there, yet we are not to lead others. We are not to use any position of leadership as a tyrant. So older children don't exercise tyranny over younger children. Teenagers don't uh, tyrannize and bully their peers and those, those weaker than them. Men and women don't manipulate and seek their own pride and glory as they are involved in other people's lives. Mothers don't have a heavy hand at home just because they're mom. Dads, husbands, don't walk into the room and, and, and they shouldn't walk into the room and then there is this fear that comes along. This terror of what might come. Who are we dealing with today? Yes, there are these positions of authority. But we are not to use our positions as tyrants. 1 Peter 5.3 commands the leader to not lord it over those under you. Do not lord your position over those under you. The leader must not be authoritative for authority's sake. Jesus Christ gives us a perfect model of this, doesn't he? Matthew 20, 25-28, Jesus called them to himself called his disciples to himself and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as a son of man, he says, just as I did not come to be served, but to serve. And he came to give his life a ransom for many. That's the model that Christ gives. That's what drove Paul in his Christ-likeness. That's, that is the kind of leadership that we are to exercise. Not lording it over those under us, but rather willing to be the servant, willing to be the slave. And even not having a limit to what we would do for those in our care. But we would come to serve them and not be served. And that we would offer our lives sacrificially in a sacrificial, selfless kind of love to them. This is our model. So, do not manipulate others with your words. That's flattery. Stop seeing others as ways to get what you want. That's greed. Stop talking about yourself. That's pride. Nobody wants to hear about your accomplishments. Can I say that? Nobody comes here wanting to know how good you are. Trust me. I don't want to hear about your accomplishments and how holy and how humble you are. No, I don't want to hear that from you. Just be godly. Let your life show it. And then as you speak, don't speak yourself. Speak Christ. Point to Him, not to you. Do not seek glory from men, even if you have a position of leadership. So you lead with your faithful speech. You lead with your blameless character. And you lead with your selfless love as well. Lead with your selfless love, verse 7 and 8. But we prove to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So instead of manipulation, instead of, of, of pride, instead of this tyranny, this heavy-handedness in leadership... Your leadership must be marked with gentleness, affection, and selfless love. To be gentle is to be mild. I'm not talking about spicy versus mild. Mild-mannered is the language that we use today. It is to be kind or kindly It's the opposite of being demanding. It's the opposite of being harsh or assertive in your leadership. You must be gentle instead. Don't mistake, or excuse me, don't confuse assertiveness with courage. Leadership takes courage. But it doesn't demand. It doesn't demand with a heavy hand. He likens himself to a nursing mother here. A nursing mother. 
this, this is a, a woman in her most loving and caring state, if you think about it. It is in the most vulnerable, honest, and caring state that a mother can be in. It is so gentle. It is so tender. To tenderly care. This word tenderly care, that means to, to warm or to soften by heat. What does that mean? Think of a, a, a block of clay. If, if you've ever played with clay or maybe Play-Doh or something like that. When it's cold, that thing is rock hard, right? Especially when you think about clay, molding clay. In order to do anything with that block of clay, it has to be warmed and softened. So if, if you have a rock-hard uh, uh, square of clay and you want to make a small statue or something with that clay, you have to soften it. You have to make it malleable. And you do this by simply grasping it in your hand. You warm it by holding it near. That's the word here for tenderly care. This is the standard of Christian leadership. Warm and gentle with the souls of God's children. That's how we lead. That's how you mother. That's how you father. That's how you disciple. That's how you lead any ministry, whether it be a community group or a children's ministry or the nursery or anything in between. That's how you lead your peers. Warmness, gentleness with souls. There's this fond affection, he says. Gentle among you like a nursing mother tenderly cares, having, verse 8, having so fond an affection for you. This fond affection is connected to the verse right before. It's that, that strong desire, that strong love and intimacy that a parent has for their children. This fondness, this, this love moved Paul to give them not just Biblical teaching and preaching, but his own life. That affection, that love for them, compelled him not just to, to, to fill the pulpit and to say the right verses and to do the study and to speak the words, but also to live the life to back up his words with his conduct. In the course of his ministry, Paul became attached to the people that were under his charge. This was common for Paul. When Paul wrote uh, the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, he wrote describing his selfless ministry to the church. He had to defend his ministry, and after describing all the physical pain uh, and suffering that he went through, he, he puts on top of that, he says, apart from such external things in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 28, and 29, apart from all the external sufferings, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak? without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? His soul was so linked with the souls of God's children that when they suffered, he suffered. When they were weak, he was weak. When they sinned, it burned within his heart. Christian, as God uses you, to lead others to him, you must love them. You must love them. Fathers, you must love your children. 
this way. Mothers, you must love your children this way. Notice that when he describes a mother, he says it's, it's tender and it's, and it's uh, what's the words? It's affectionate, tender, and gentle like a nursing mother for her children. Now, a nursing mother is only a nursing mother for a little while. But this, and, and as the child grows, the, it, the mother is no longer a nursing mother. The child moves on. But no matter how old your children get, mothers, fathers, that tenderness towards your children, that affection, that love for them must stay strong. Because trust me, it will waver. Oh, it will. And all the moms said, amen. (laughs) It does. Because they're sinful. And we're sinful. You must love them, though. In the church, you need to love the church and the people of the church. Because, after all, the church is the people. So you can't say, I love the church, but I just can't stand those people. Because the people are the church. And so you must love the people of the church. This means, this this care, this gentleness, this involvement, as as you not only impart the right words, as we saw earlier with the faithful speech, but also your own life. That's how you communicate your love. For those that are around you. That means you must be with them often. You must be greatly concerned for the spiritual health of those around you. When's the last time you lost sleep over the the waywardness or the sin of a brother or sister in Christ? Have you? You need to be involved in one another's lives if you are even to know that this stuff is going on. If you don't know of a battle that a dear brother or sister is having that you have a relationship with, if you don't know that they're going through something or if they're having a battle, you don't know them as well as you think you do. Because all of us are going through something. All of us are battling sin. There is a constant struggle. And so if you have a friend in Christ, a brother or a sister that you talk to from time to time, but you don't really know what they're going through, you don't know their struggle, you don't know them. You need to know them to this level. And it doesn't mean everybody. It doesn't mean you have to... You know, broadcast all your struggles, all your sins, doesn't mean that. But we must have those connections within the local church and within our lives. Have you lost sleep over the spiritual state of somebody else? That's not your child, because that, of course, will happen. But of somebody else, that's not in your family. Have you lost sleep over them? Then you need to have stronger ties to those around you, especially in the church. You need to be involved in one another's lives. Their weakness is your weakness. It is your weakness. Their sin is your intense concern. Literally, this intense concern is that their sin ought to cause, your, it ought to cause you this deep soul pain Like it's burning with fire. That's the word. You have to be around each other to do this, though. You have to call each other. You have to text each other. You have to go to the park together. You have to have each other over your homes, in your backyards, on the front porch. Whatever you need to do during this time to do it, do it. 
This must be a priority. Otherwise, you are not leading the way Christ calls you to lead. So you must lead with your faithful speech, with your blameless character, with your selfless love. Next week, we're going to pick up with your humble service and your godly example. But let me just say, how are you leading? How are you doing? You're leading somebody. Maybe you've never thought of that. That you are actually, you are actually influencing somebody right now. You are. So how are you doing that? That. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, oh, a sobering words. The, the standard sometimes feels too high. But Lord, you call this from us because you have given us your spirit who can enable us to fulfill these things. You wouldn't call us to it if we are doomed for failure. It's not who you are. You don't set us up for failure. You're a kind father. And so, Lord, enable us. As we look to Christ and and see how good he is at leading us, how he is so faithful to say the right thing to us in his word, No matter what the circumstance might be, he is always speaking to us. As he is so blameless and upright in his character and selfless in his leadership, he he used his position of authority to serve us, to save us. And as he did all of this with, with love, with the tenderness, with a gentleness. He's so, Lord Jesus, you're so patient with us. You're so gentle. You're, you are a good shepherd. Oh, you've given us the perfect model. And you've given us your spirit to strive after that model in our own lives. And we pray, Lord, that as we exercise leadership in whatever sphere of influence you've given us, We pray, Lord, that as we fulfill this this kind of leadership, that people would not see us, but Christ in us, and that he would get the glory. That's what this is all about. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing.